All right, guys, so we're in lesson 22. I've entitled this lesson, The Prophet's Plea. So we're going to look at chapter 6 through chapter 7, okay? And uh, so we're going to, portions of this as we go along, we'll read uh, from the passage. Uh, but we want to uh, talk about what he's saying here is kind of the final indictment, the Lord's judgment. And then Mike is going to intercede for the nation, okay? So... Uh, so let's look at this together. First of all, the indictment of the Lord. We're going to see that in chapter 6. So the first thing I want you to notice, again, this, this section always starts off the same way. But I want you to notice what the Lord says through the prophet in verses 1 to 5. Here's uh, what he says. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and your enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember that Balak, the king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Bor, answered him and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. All right, so let's talk about the indictment here, first of all. We're going to see here that the Lord, again, calls the nation to pay attention to what the Lord is saying. So, all right, guys, listen up, pay attention, okay? This is what he's saying here. So, he challenges Israel to give her side of the dispute with God. So, the first thing he's going to do is, it's like, okay... All right, I've got an indictment against you, but you need to tell me what's going on. You need to explain yourself. You need to just give me what your reasoning is, your thinking is, okay? So it's not like he's giving them a chance, not giving them a chance to explain themselves. He wants them to explain themselves, okay? But this is what I find is interesting. The Lord asks them, to identify what he did to weary them. Okay, so if you're angry at me, or if you're not following me, you're not doing anything that I told you to do, and I told you that I would bless you, I gave you this land, I gave you an inheritance in the land, I said if you follow me, there will be blessing, you'll have kids, and all of this, and if you, if you turn from me, and you'll have curses, you will have problems. So explain to me, the Lord is saying, what have I done to weary you? What is it that you're upset with me about that you can't follow me? Isn't that a pretty good question? You know what I'm saying? So what is it that I've done? You know, we don't normally think that way. So when I was reading that, I was like, whoa, whoa. You know, it's like God's saying, okay, okay, so what is it that I've done that you're supposedly so mad at me about? Do you know what I'm saying? What, what is it that I've done? And I think maybe sometimes, to be very honest with you, maybe that's the question 
Because sometimes we do get mad at God, right? Because he didn't do something, okay? Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, why am I upset with God? What is it that I'm really upset with him about? Because I live in a world that's fallen. Bad stuff happens. God's children are not exempt from bad stuff happening, right? So why am I upset with the Lord? Why, you know, and people do get upset. They'll say, I'm not going back to church anymore. So we know people who, who got upset with the Lord. He didn't answer them. And what did they do? They quit coming to church. Quit being with God's people. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, and so the question is, it's like God saying, okay, well, explain to me what it is that you're angry about. And, and sometimes I think it's because we think we're angry with him because we thought somehow that we were entitled, maybe, to a special privilege that exempted us from what everybody else is going through, Right? That as God's child, I'm supposed to not have these problems. What's that? Be exempt from the problems. And are we, Gene? No, no, we're not. You know what I'm saying? Because let's, let's be honest, there's nothing new under the sun. The stuff that happens in your life that's terrible is happening in others' lives, right? So, but here we have a people, we have a people, let's, let's bring it back to Israel, though. Here we have a people... Israel, you know, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, Judah, and they're, they're ignoring God. They're, they're, they're cheating each other. They're promoting violence against each other. They're, they're worshiping other idols and so forth. And, of course, they're going to face the consequences of that, right? There are consequences to that kind of behavior. And God says, so explain to me why you're mad at me. Okay? Explain to me why you're mad at me. And so then again, the Lord reminds them of his redeeming them from Egypt. What do you think he's doing there? So the first thing he says is, why, what's, what's the problem? What, what do you got against me? And then he says, don't you remember who I am and what I did? Why do you think he does that? What's he trying to do there? Yeah, his faithfulness. Yeah, I'm the one who took you out of slavery. I'm the one who, who brought you to a new place. I gave you Moses and Aaron and Miriam to guide you through the wilderness. And I'm the one who did all these great, wonderful things. Now, he mentions Barak and he mentions Balaam. And what he's doing there in that portion of the scripture is, is he's reminding them that even though, see, remember, Barak, Barak, the king, wanted to curse Israel, so he hired Balaam to curse him. And could, could Balaam curse, curse Israel? No. God wouldn't allow him to curse Israel. He had to give a blessing. And so he's reminding them, even when, that, when others were trying to curse you, I took care of that. I intervened. So, so what is it, Israel, that you've got a problem with me about? What is it that you have an issue with? So I want you to notice then, verses 6 to 8, Micah's response, okay? Here's how he responds when he hears that. He's responding on behalf of the people. This is his intercession, okay? He says, With what shall I come before the Lord? 
and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression and, my, and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? So it's like he's speaking on behalf of the people, and he's wanting to know, what do I need to do? What is it that you want from me, God? Okay? And, and so here's, here's the response. Here's what we're going to see. So Micah questions what he could bring before the Lord in order to regain favor. So he's speaking on behalf of the people, and he's saying, okay, God, what do we need to do to regain favor? What kind of sacrifice? The, all the things he listed there are sacrifices. What do you mean all the things? Well, he mentions year-old calves. Do you want a 1,000 rams? How about 10,000 rivers of oil? They would even pour out oil before the Lord as an offering to him. He says, what, what do we need to do? We'll do anything. See, they're thinking in terms of what they can, what, what were you going to say, Gene? Yeah, material. What, what do we need to give you to get this thing right, or to gain favor? And don't we sometimes act like that? What, what do I need to do, Lord, to get back in good graces with you, right? And, and this is what the prophet is expressing on behalf of the people. But notice what the response is. Micah then replies what they should already know. And what they should already know is what? Micah points out that the Lord wants justice, loving kindness, and humility from his people. Justice, doing what's right. Loving kindness. And humility. Now, the things we talked about earlier, that they, what do we bring? 1,000 calves, 1,000 rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? You mentioned it, Gene, those are material things. <clears throat> as long as you're saying, that's right, John, so as long as I don't have to change, I can give you this stuff. But what he really wants from us, when you look at what he wants here, justice, loving kindness, humility, what does that require from us? Changing, yeah, changing of what? Yourself, your attitudes, your heart. It's a whole lot easier to give stuff, right? Yeah, it's a whole lot easier. In fact, many times in the scripture, the Lord says, you know, I don't delight in the sacrifice of bulls. You know? In fact, he said to, to Samuel, and Samuel to Saul, to obey is better than what? Sacrifice. To hearken, listen to God, better than the fat of rams. So, so what God really wants from us is a changed heart. He wants us to change who we are. That's how we gain favor with him. Isn't that interesting? It's not what we do that gains favor with him. 
And, and I find it interesting. Do you think people today are confused about that? How are we confused about what he's, he's offering here? Anybody? How are we confused? Okay, that's good, Tim. So you're saying some people think I maybe I'm not giving enough. I'm not putting enough in the offering. If I, in fact, they, if you listen to the radio or the TV, isn't that what you're told? The more you give, God will bless it a hundredfold. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, Mike, I saw your hand. Yes. And trying to make your way to God that way, that really he can hear less. Yes, that's exactly right. And it's and it's and it's and in Christianity there is two extremes. There's the extreme that that uh, Tim was talking about, where I got to give you so I can get more. And then there's the other extreme, which you're talking about, is I need to suffer more in order to gain blessing. So so I keep myself from, from, from doing anything or I, I stop myself or I, 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 some kind of penance, I, I make myself suffer so that you bless me, Lord. And so that's another extreme. And, and I think it's right what you said. He doesn't care about that. Do you know what I'm saying? He doesn't, he doesn't really care about that. What does he care about? Yeah, trusting in him, living in him, being the person that we need to be that reflects what Mike just said, justice, loving kindness, humility. That's what he's interested in. Hey, listen, I think it's interesting. If you go over to Galatians chapter 5, I think it's verse 24, 25, where he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Did you ever notice that the fruits of the Spirit aren't things to do. Have you ever noticed that? The fruits of the Spirit aren't things to do. The fruits of the Spirit are actually something about you. Peace, patience, love, kindness, gentleness. They're reflective of who you are as a person. They're about your character. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what God is interested in. You know, so he points out that the Lord wants justice, loving kindness, and humility from his people. But the problem is, you know, Mike is there to proclaim to them because that's not what they've been looking for. The Lord's judgment is at hand. So I want you to notice with me verses 9 through 12, and we're going to see what their sins were. Here's what was going on with these folks. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear his name. Hear the rod and of him who appointed him. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant scale that is accursed? Shall I acquit a man 
with wicked scales and bag of deceitful weights. Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies. And your tongue is deceitful in their mouth. All right, so let, what's going on here? Well, here's the sins. The prophet calls the nation to pay attention to the Lord's rod of discipline. Pay attention to the Lord's rod of discipline. Now, I remember as a kid growing up, my, my, my dad used something for disciplining. And he always kept it up on, on either the fridge or another cabinet in the house. And you knew it was there, and it was out, in the, and you could see it. And, and then when you came home, and if it, was, if it wasn't there, you're like, oh, my God, who's going to get it? Do you know what I'm saying? Because it was like you paid attention to the rod of discipline. This is what the Lord is calling Israel to do. Pay attention to the rod of discipline. It's coming. Why? Well, he explains to them why. He says the Lord can't overlook the sins of Israel. He can't overlook them. This is, this is the reality. God just can't turn a blind eye. All right, what's the implications of that? What are you asking, George? What does that mean to you and I? I mean, I guess we're forgiven, okay? And we have salvation, we're going to heaven, right? But God doesn't change. The Old Testament God is the same as the New Testament God. There's no changing there. What, what does that tell you about that what he can't overlook in our lives? Yeah, he can't overlook us. He can't overlook our sins. Now, are you forgiven of those sins? Yeah. You know what? I, I, I've done many wrong things growing up, but I know that my mom and dad loved me and forgave me, but I had to face what for what the things I did wrong? Discipline. Why? Because they needed to develop my what? Character. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, they wouldn't have called it that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm developing George's character. You know what I'm saying? That, that's the language we use today. They would have said, no, he needs to be taught a lesson. You know what I'm saying? He can't do that. And it's the same thing. They couldn't overlook my doing wrong. God can't overlook you doing wrong. And Hebrews 12 talks about that he scourges every son that he what? Loves. Does that mean they're cast out of the family of God? Does that mean they're not? No, no. It means that he's got to discipline us. Do you know what I'm saying? And so here he is. He's saying to his people, I can't overlook the sins. What sins? Well, these sins included ill-gotten wealth, wealth that these folks had gotten through cheating or scoundrels, dishonest scales, dishonest scales. Have, have you noticed... You know, sometimes when I'm pumping gas, okay, so like if I'm at Sheets or Snappies, and I'm pumping gas, and I'm looking at the machine there, I think Sheets has like a little video presentation that they give you. But if you're not paying attention to that, and you're just kind of looking at the pump, have you ever done this? You're kind of nonchalantly looking at the pump. There'll be a sticker on the pump. And on the sticker, it'll have a month and a year punched out. Who puts that sticker on the pump? 
What are they inspecting? The yes, the scales, the gallons that are going out. And, and I, have you ever been to a, have, I've, a few times over the years being here, I've been to like pull into a convenience store and you'll see an inspector there and he's got a whole big elaborate thing and he's got, and he's pulling gas out and, pu and he's measuring to make sure that the scales, the pump is what? Honest. You know what I'm saying? That the pump is honest. It's even true, can I be honest with you? It's even true at Walmart. The scales at Walmart, what scales at Walmart? Well, when you go to the self-checkout there, you got that little, it's not just a scanner there. You put your fruit on it to measure the weight of your bananas, right? Did you know there's a sticker there too? Why? To keep them honest so that they don't what? Cheat you, right? Okay, and so what was going on? One of the sins was dishonest scales and faulty weights. Do you know what I'm saying? Faulty weights. It was the, the issue is, is that they're doing well. Here's the other one. The wealthy were expressing themselves in violence. Violence towards who? The poor. Those who are under them. And not just that, lies. It was a society at that point in Israel, in Judah, that was built on what? Lies. Where lying is basically okay. Do you know what I'm saying? They basically came to the conclusion you can't believe anything anybody says. And these are the sins, okay? And so God is indicting them of that. He can't overlook these sins. He's got to do something about it. So then notice now what the punishment is. Look with me at verse 13 through 16. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat and not be satisfied. There shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall sow and not reap. You shall tread olives and not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes and not drink wine. For you have kept the statues of Omri, all the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their counsels that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing so that you shall bear the scorn of my people. Wow, that's pretty harsh from the Lord here. What, what's going on here? Well, here's the punishment, okay? The Lord will strike them with a blow that will leave them desolate. He's talking about he's going to destroy them in such a way that they're just become a desolate place. Their food will not satisfy them. And what they store up will be taken by the sword. So even though they're going to be able to eat, it isn't going to satisfy them. Because it isn't going to be the stuff that satisfies them. Maybe it's just going to be meager. And, and even if they try to store something up, they're not going to be able to keep it because the marauders, the invading army is going to come and they're going to what? Take it. Okay? They're going to take it. Their efforts will come to nothing as their labor becomes meaningless. So he goes through a whole list of things here, you know, treading olives for oil. But you're not going to enjoy that oil. Treading grapes for, 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 for wine. 
but you're not going to enjoy that wine. You're going to harvest, but you're not going to enjoy that harvest. It's going to be taken from you. It's going to be gone. Your efforts will come to nothing. Why? Because they chose to follow the practices of the wicked kings instead of the Lord. Now, Omri and Ahab, Ahab is his son, are mentioned in First and Second Kings. They were two kings of the northern kingdom, and, and Omri was considered an evil king, a very wicked king. No one was like him before he came. Then he had a son whose name was Ahab, who, who married who? Jezebel. He was even more wicked than his dad. And so what he's saying is, is Judah, you guys, you have followed their statutes. You've been following their works, their practices, instead of following me. Therefore, you're going to be judged. So guess what? Because of these sins, the Lord will give them over to ruin and desolation. They're going to suffer the consequences. He's going to pour out on them all of the curses that he gave long before through Moses if they decided not to follow him. Well, then that brings us to the second portion of our uh, lesson today, which is the final chapter of Micah, and it's M Micah's intercession, okay? Micah's intercession. And we're going to see this in verses 1 to 20, but first of all, I want us to notice uh, his mourning, verses 1 to 6, okay? Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, but there is no cluster to eat. No first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the land, and there is no upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood, and each hunts for the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. And the great man others his evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar. And most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lie in your arms. For the, for the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises against his mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. So here's his morning. Before I get into the morning... Let me, let me ask you a question. So when you think of an Old Testament prophet who's, who's pronouncing these judgments, what do you think his attitude is towards the people he's speaking to? I mean, is there wickedness going on? And he's proclaiming judgment, right? Is he angry? Okay, he's upset with their actions. Okay, what were you saying, Gene? 
Okay, disappointment, okay. So, go, what, go ahead. Sorrow as well. Is that something that we normally think? Because, he, is he right in feeling angry about what the nation is doing? Is he right in being appalled at their sins? Is he happy with the course of where the nation is going and how the leaders are acting? And he's expressing God's judgment about that. But I, what I want you to notice, and I think this is what sometimes is missing with folks, is, is while he's doing that, he's also mourning and brokenhearted. Brokenhearted for the people. Did you understand what I'm saying? So let me ask you a question, because I know there's a lot of, in Christian circles today, there's a lot of anger and indignation about how the culture is going. Is that right? No, no, is it right, if you think about today, is it right to be angry and upset with about the way the culture is going? Yes. yes. Is it right to proclaim what God's word says? Is it right to proclaim God's judgment for those kind of actions? Okay. Now, but when you look today, is there also a brokenness for the people? There should be. What were you saying, Rob? Maybe by Christians. Okay, forget non-Christians. Let's, let's, let's keep it in the church. There should be in the church is what Bruce is saying. Do, do you understand? It, it's okay to be angry and upset, but at the same time, mourn. Did you understand what I'm saying? Mourn. Mourn for them because... I've come to this conclusion, they don't know any better. Sinners are going to what, folks? Sin. Are sinners going to grasp the reality of God and his truth? Unless they have what? Jesus, right? He's the one who gives people a new mind. See, I think the reality is, is that if it wasn't for Jesus, you would be right there with them. Do you understand? If it wasn't for Jesus, you would be right there with him. And so one, it's one thing, and righteously, it is right to be angry with what you see. But also with that, you need to couple that with a brokenness. Grieving for them. You listen, to, here's the thing. So when Micah is proclaiming this message, saying you're going to be a desolation, the stuff that you store up, an enemy's going to come and take it, he knows that when he's proclaiming that to these people, he's looking at people who are dead men walking. He's looking at people who, who are going to face an onslaught of the Assyrians who are going to destroy them, and a lot of them are going to die. And so he just can't be angry. He's got to what? Mourn for them. Be brokenhearted for them. And I think that's what we see here in chapter 7. So what are we seeing here? So let me just kind of point out to you a few things here. So first of all, he mourns his position as one who fears the Lord in the midst of those who don't. Do you think we can relate to this? 
Do you think we can relate to what he's, he's mourning the fact that he's somebody who understands truth, he's somebody who understands what God wants, he's somebody who follows the Lord, but he's in the midst of people who what? Don't follow them. Isn't that us? Did you understand? Remember Elijah, Lord, I alone have not bowed a knee. So just kill me. It's, it's a burden. Okay, it's a burden. All right. So he points out that there is no one upright among the people. No one upright. Okay? No one upright. The people eagerly pursue all types of sin. <clears throat> Are we talking about today or then? Or both, right? But we're supposed to be focusing on then, right? Micah proclaims that he will look to the Lord who is the God of his salvation. That's where he's going to look. He's going to look here. This is what I want you to see now in verse um, 7. Look at what he says there. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out of the light, out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. And she will be trampled down in the mire of the streets. As for the building of your walls, in that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river and from the sea to sea, from mountain to mountain. But the earth shall be desolate because of the inhabitants for the fruit of her deeds. All right, so let's take a look here. First thing I want you to notice, he proclaims, okay, that he alone is looking to the Lord for his salvation. Micah expresses confidence that the Lord will ultimately reverse the nation's pride. Who's he, who's he resting his, can I be honest with you, who is he resting his assurance in? The leaders getting their act together? All of a sudden, they wake up one morning, oh, we have been so wrong, we're going to go a different direction now. Is that what he's putting his trust in? No, he's putting his trust in who? The Lord. You know what I'm saying? He's putting his trust in the Lord, that the Lord is the one who can reverse the nation's plight. Okay? Here's the other one. One day, Israel will be restored and her walls will be rebuilt. He, he's trusting that even though there's, there's going to be problems and God's going to execute judgment and the Assyrians are coming, he knows that one day what's going to happen? God's going to rebuild the walls of Israel, of Jerusalem. In that day, nations who were once enemies will travel to Jerusalem. This is in the millennial kingdom. When Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom, we're going to be with him and the nations of the world will what? They'll all come there to him. 
We already talked about this earlier last week when, when Micah told us about what the king will be like. He will judge their disputes and punish them. <clears throat> and so here's what he does. He prays that the Lord will shepherd and care for his people. Lord, you come. You lead us. You shepherd us. You care for the people. So here's what I want you to see now. Look with me at verse 15. Here's what God says to them. As in the day when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things on the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn to dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Okay, so here's what he says. So the Lord promises the nation that promises the nation that he will once again show them marvelous works. He's going to once again do marvelous. What kind of marvelous works? The stuff he did when he brought them out of Egypt. Didn't he do marvelous works? I mean, think about it. If you read through Exodus and Leviticus, didn't he do marvelous works? Moses striking the rock. Water comes out. Manna from heaven to feed them. When the Lord regathers Israel to the land, the nations will be ashamed and cannot speak. The nations will be ashamed. The nations will tremble before the Lord and become afraid of Israel. Now, why are they afraid of Israel now? Anybody got a clue? Why would they be afraid of Israel when the Lord comes? I hear, I hear whispers. What's that, Rob? Yes, they'll be afraid of who? The Lord. You know what I'm saying? The Lord. Like, they're not going to be afraid of it. They're going to be afraid of the one who's in their midst, who's their shepherd, their guide, their king. So look with me now at this final section. I think it's the most beautiful section of this entire prophecy. Okay? I'll read it to you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot you will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. So this is talking about God. This is an awesome passage. Okay, so what do we see here? So first of all, Micah questions whether there's another God who forgives. Uh, by the way, guys, if you go to any of the other major religions of the world, God is seen often as a judgment God, not a forgiving God. You want forgiveness? You come to Christianity, to Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's the one who forgives. And here's Micah. Man, 
almost a thousand years later before Jesus comes and he's expressing that there is no God like this God who what? Forgives sin. Here's the other one. God does not hold on to anger and delights in love. Do we need to hear that one? He doesn't hold on to anger. He doesn't bear a grudge. He's not bitter forever. Aren't you glad about that? Some of you need to remind yourselves of that. He's not angry with you forever. Here's the other one. He will have compassion on us and remove our sins from us. I heard an old preacher talk about this passage one day. He takes all our sins, casts it into the sea, and puts up a sign saying, no fishing. I thought, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. He does, I mean, they're gone. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? They're gone. The Lord will show himself what? Faithful to Israel. And not just to Israel, Lord, folks. Who will the Lord show himself faithful to? To us, his children. You know what I'm saying? To us, his children. We're done with Micah. Next week, we're going to get into Nahum. <laughs>